And welcome to Cleaning and Geek, the off-season, busy off-season edition. Yeah, Cleveland, there was the athletic. Who are you, John Bonus from Twins Daily? Oh, that's who you are. Oh, <laughs> I've been wanted to do this show with someone. Else. Yes. Uh, this whole off-season. First of all, I can tell your mic setup's not going to work for you, John, because you're too far away. John's trying to copy no, me today. It sounds, it sounds good about yours. Yes, I've tried not to touch the mic because it absolutely makes sound when I I wave around the mic or I switch hands no, with the mic. So. I, the real truth is John just thinks I look cooler because I have oh, a mic yeah, I stand. Love, I love this you hunched over look. Yeah. Well, that's my look for everything. <laughs> mic stand or no, I'm hunched over. I'm like the hunchback of uh, the hunchback of Northeast. Yeah, here's call why me. it's not going to work is because I'm going to have to go way over here to clear my throat. Well, maybe that's good. Yeah. Um, there's been... Absolutely nothing to talk about, realistically, right. uh, from the Twins' standpoint. There's been some TV speculation, which we have a little bit more on that today, which we can get into. Um, <laughs> but in terms of actual moves or even like rumored moves that we can kind of speculate about, it's been three plus months of almost literally nothing with apologies to Josh Stamont, who's indeed something <laughs> right, yes. and a worthwhile human being to discuss yes, and all that. Yes. And now, I'm not trying to say that uh, the whole roster has been overhauled in the last 72 hours or something, but... We have the Jorge Polanco trade to talk about. Correct. We have Joe Mauer. Since last we spoke on the free show, which was about two weeks, Joe Mauer is a, now a first ballot <laughs> Hall of Famer. Yeah, right. We're going to give you a little, just a real quick uh, recap of the Winter Meltdown event from last weekend. And yeah, Twins Fest, yeah. And right. Twins Fest in general, because, yeah, we we talked to, uh, well, Baldelli and Falvey and St. Peter and all that. Um, and now we're, what are we? 10 days from the start of – 12 days from the start of spring training, basically? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, 12 days exactly, right. And from the Polanco trade, one of the domino effects of that was that the Twins' payroll dropped by another six and a half million, roughly, <laughs> six to seven million. Right. And talking to Falvey the night of the trade, he – and I know people are always skeptical but when it comes to the Twins spending money, and, and rightfully so – but and we'll be talking about that as well. Yes, I will say that Falvey is, uh, well, I guess you would say very good at saying a lot without saying anything. <laughs> yes, in general. Yes, I mean, there's a true skill set that sure. people in his position have in general, but I would say he's about the 90th percentile for that. Like, as someone who give you a lot of information, just not the stuff you actually want to know. <laughs> well, it's a lot of words. Like, as someone who transcribes his uh, audio on a regular basis, it is amazing how. Often we come out of his office during the season, especially, and it's like, oh, there's a 22 minutes of audio. Let's split this up four or five ways. We'll transcribe it. We all transcribe our little five-minute chunk, and then we all look at each other and go, is there a single anything in here? <laughs> a money quote? Right. Um, but the night of the trade, he did a Zoom with like a handful of reporters, and uh, I felt in Falvey speak, translating <laughs> Falvey-esque or whatever you would call it. I thought he was pretty adamant that this money will be spent. The six or seven million yeah. that they cleared, plus, you know, maybe a few million on top of that, but that even I'm a little skeptical about. And went a step further and essentially said, or came as close as he will ever say, uh, to saying, yeah, we, we need some hitters. We need yes. some hitting. Yep. And so we'll talk uh, about what's left of free agent options. I mean, it could be trades too, but he also hinted that it would probably be free agents. And we talked, uh, I don't know, 10 days ago or something on the 
on the Patreon side about how slow moving this offseason has been in general for baseball and the fact that, you know, a dozen of the top 40 free agents or whatever were still unsigned, which is uncommon even within baseball, which is always incredibly slow moving compared to the other sports. And at the time, I didn't think that would really be in the Twins' favor because I thought the Twins had zero dollars to spend. I thought it was like irrelevant to them. Now, it, if you got six or eight million, or let's say ten million, if we're being really maybe, optimistic, maybe I'm hearing eleven. So yeah, yeah, I mean, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Right, right. Uh, it doesn't seem like a lot. Although I will say, there's only five guys on the whole Twins team making more than six million dollars right now. Um, but if there are, you know. 10 or 15 quality free agents. Now, the pitchers, I think, you know, they're not going to get uh, Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery for $11 million. Or apparently Corbin Burns. Or Corbin Burns. We should probably mention that. Tra- that traded last too. night yeah, right. uh, from the Brewers to the to the Orioles. I feel for somebody – there's probably a lot of people who listen to this show who are either living in Wisconsin or are – and or are Brewers fans also. Sure. And so – I feel for you because all the complaints about the Twins this offseason and just in general, which is they don't push enough for contention and they yep. don't spend enough money. And the, the Brewers just dropped below the Twins in terms of payroll. Yep. Uh, they're like 22nd now because Burns was making, I don't know, I think I think, their, I think their total payroll is about $102 million. Right. And, and the, I anticipate the Twins being at about 125 127 Right, right. yeah. Uh, and that's, well, not as weak as the AL Central. The NL Central is... Uh, no great shakes. Uh, yeah, right. And they might have been co-favorites heading into the season if they just hung on to Burns. They brought in uh, Reese Hoskins like a week ago or whatever. Yep. And now you're trading your ace. I get it. It's similar to the thinking with the Polanco trade, but on a bigger scale, which is Burns is going to leave as a free agent. I mean, the Milwaukee Brewers right. are not going to sign Burns to a deal beyond this season. You know, it would be 150, 180, 200 million dollars. They compensatory draft pick right. is what they're going to get, which they got in the trade, by the way. Essentially, I yeah. I loved that deal. I loved that aspect of that deal. So, yeah, they could have had one season of Corbin Burns right. in a season that they're planning to contend, which is maximizing that value, and then gotten like a, yeah, number th- between 30 and 40 draft pick overall next year. Right. When he walks, you know, like the Twins are getting for, for Sonny Gray. They traded him to the Orioles. Now, you've now removed your ace in a season you're theoretically planning to contend. Right. Uh, but in return, you get three pieces, one of which is the number 34 pick in <laughs> right. next year's draft right. because those are the only picks that can be traded, right. the um, you know supplemental the picks, yeah, basically. Right. And so that essentially crosses that out or cancels that out, what you would have gotten if he'd walked. It just makes it very clean. Right. I like that. (laughs) I agree. agree. We're both uh, linear thinkers in that (laughs) way. I like the idea of that. And then, so you've canceled that out. And so then all your- So what is one year of Corbin Burns worth? Well, apparently worth two fridge top 100 prospects. Yes. And I think it's not dissimilar, again, on a bigger scale from the Polanco thing, which is Polanco- had a team option for next year too but i think in the twins minds and we'll get a lot more into this obviously on on the show uh, although i will say two of the topics we're going to talk about today we did immediate full show reactions yes. to uh on the patreon side yeah. and that is the mauer hall of fame yep. we talked about the next morning and then the polanco trade we talked about the next morning yep. for over an hour on each we really got into the nitty-gritty details of both and had more of a long discussion we'll get into some of that we obviously. about an hour and a half on both of those topics yes so you, now you might yeah, say to yeah. yourself that seems like overkill in which case you're listening <laughs> you to the right show correct <laughs> but if that if you say that sounds interesting get over at uh, patreon.com slash gleeman but i should also mention there you know, there might very well be a uh 
emergency podcast coming up this weekend or uh, in the very near yeah. future. So uh, it's nice to. I maybe... would predict we will have multiple emergency podcasts within the next uh, three weeks. Let's say I would say one yeah. way or the other. Yep, I agree. But just to link that back to Planck, and then we'll move on from this one. But. Um, you know, the twins, I think, feared with Polanco, and I think it's it's justified. I mean, nobody knows from a health standpoint, but he's 30. He's making $10.5 million this year, which is not a crazy salary, but it's not like, oh, my God, he's such a bargain. Right. And then he's got a $12 million option or a $750,000 buyout for next year. And again, that's a reasonable salary if he's reasonably healthy. He's a $12 million and beyond player. But the, I think the twins' fear was if he has another season like he had last year, and really the, the year before, which is he was good, but he basically missed half the season with leg injuries, then the notion of a $12 million option on him becomes sort of maybe neutral-ish value, at which point can we even get anything for him in the offseason? And then it becomes similar to Burns, where Burns is just an outright free agent after the season. And so it's teams like Milwaukee and teams like Minnesota are always in position or at least put themselves in position where you try to balance – Present and future, which we talked a lot about on the on the yes, Patreon side, because we kind of viewed the trade from different lenses in that yes, regard. Right. Um, and this is an example of that, which I don't think Milwaukee is not contending this year. I actually think they still I, have I, a, a I, decent chance. Signed Reese Hoskins, right. Hoskins just uh, and their roster is certainly not significantly worse than the other teams in the at the top of the Central. And clearly, the Twins are planning right. to contend this year. I mean, the Brewers are doing what the Guardians do. Right, they're they're trying they're trying to shuffle things on the fly, like especially right. especially they've been good at similar to the Guardians, they've been good at developing starting pitching. Right, the right. Rays right. are another yeah, example another of a team example, that right. basically does it, and now the Brewers are being run by a former Rays right. guy, yep. uh, which is and it it's not fun in the moment, obviously, to trade Corbin Burns or even to trade Jorge Polanco, but you got to be sort of realistic, which is in Burns' case, we weren't going to sign him after this year because he's going to make $200 million. The Brewers aren't going to be in position to give that kind of contract out. In Polanco's case, it's more about is he going to have value after this year to us or in a trade scenario? And I think they really felt, at least you know, people I've talked to, felt like they were worried at the trade deadline. Like let's say we keep Polanco at second base. We use Julian mostly at DH which is perfectly straightforward. You can sure. do that. They did it last year yeah, at the, times. The five or 600 at-bats that you're taking away from Polanco aren't going to Julian. I think that's one of the things that yeah. I, I would say maybe 100 It's are. not that they're going to Julian. It's just that they're going to Julian while he's at second base I guess instead of at DH, basically. Okay. Yeah. But where they're really going, theoretically, soon-ish, they hope, is to Brooks Lee, which is by June, let's say. Maybe. Brooks Lee might be in position to jump into the lineup like Julian, like Lewis, like Walner last year, midsummer or earlier. And it's going to probably be at second base because you have Royce Lewis at third base and, and Correa at shortstop. Well, their worry, I think, with Polanco was by the time Lewis is ready, let's say it's June, which is optimistic probably, then he plays second base with some Julian in there. Julian's either, either playing first base, depending on what Kirilov's situation is, or Julian just goes back to being – you know, half and half with DH second base. Well then, okay, you've still got Polanco at that point. He's seemingly a pretty good trade chip, except what if he's hurt or what if he's just not that good? They were really worried about the likelihood or the chance of his trade value, which was not overwhelming to begin with, but I think they got pretty good value. I think even you agreed with oh, I that. Agree. I agree that they came out big in picture of, sense. Overall organizational value, they got good. At, right. They just didn't get better for next year. Right. So, right. But they were worried if we try to trade him in July and he's on the injured list again with an ankle or a leg or whatever, 
he won't have really any trade value. I mean, we'd be lucky to get Justin Topa, the reliever they got, just on his own or whatever, sure. and then let alone during the offseason. And so in terms of why they acted now, I will also say that it was very clear. I mean, if you go back and listen to our show at the beginning of the offseason, even before the, the payroll stuff and the TV stuff was really came to the forefront when we were just kind of doing the math on roster spots and lineup spots. Polanco was at the top of everyone's list as a trade candidate because he was 30. He was nearing the end of his contract. He's got multiple good young players at the same position, either in the majors or knocking on the door to the majors. And they, you know, you got the injuries and all that. It's not a surprise that they tried to trade him. I think, honestly, they spent basically three months, this period where we were saying there was nothing going on, trying to get a legit kind of mid-rotation starting pitcher or better for him and just basically... Well, I think a lot of those conversations centered around Polanco and Burns, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, think, I think Corbin Burns and Polanco were... Uh, I think the Twins had multiple conversations with the Brewers about Burns, and I think one of the, one of the key pieces in that was going to be Polanco. But why would the Brewers do that? Well, I think they were also looking for additional prospects similar to what they ended up getting but they would they need some infield help they their infield is not in great shape i mean i don't think jorge blanco is going to move the needle one bit on a corbin burns trade package i mean look what they ended up getting two young players no they got two ring players and right? a draft pick they ended up doing no you're right right that they, they're uh, still hurting for some of their middle infield for right. 2024 but I, so. what i think the twins found was well they were talking to seattle because seattle had some very good young pitching well, Seattle wasn't going to trade you Bryce Miller yeah, or right. Brian Wu, let alone George Kirby or somebody like that, like or Logan Gill. I mean, Agreed. why would they? If we were a Seattle Mariners podcast, we would laugh at that, basically. And so I think they spent three months trying to do that, whether it was for Polanco with multiple teams, you could do that. Because he did – there was interest in him, obviously, or attaching Polanco with Kepler or attaching Polanco to fill-in-the-blank prospect. And they just realized, at least to their liking, we can't turn him – even plus something else, into a playoff caliber starting pitcher. This is something we've talked about for years in the offseason. It's, it's a lot harder to make a trade major league player for major right. league player than it is to make a trade major league player for prospects. Right. Right? That prospects become sort of the currency yes. by which you end up like buying, draft and picks selling, in other sports. <laughs> buying and selling major league players. That becomes easier. At, at some point, you give up on, listen, we're just having trouble finding a fit between another major league team, another competitive major league team that wants a, a good player like Polanco but is willing to give up a good pitcher right. in return. And, it, I mean, that that's a rare thing that you can find something like that. And then, uh, you know, if you can't find that, then it makes more sense to say, okay, well, let's let's sell Polanco for prospects and let's buy our, you know, right. our mid-rotation ca- or our playoff caliber rotation starter for prospects. Right. right. And I think they basically blended that together. The ultimately there's a four player return plus some payroll uh, space which they'll probably turn into at least a fifth player that you can sort of loop into that trade. The four player we can just talk about it, I guess. But the four players were Gabriel Gonzalez who's a 20-year-old corner outfield prospect uh Top 100 on some lists, just at outside the top 100 on other lists. So I guess we'll call him a borderline top 100 prospect. Uh, Darren Bowen, who was a 13th round pick uh, 18 months ago, who kind of fits what the Twins look for, which is a big right-handed college starter from a smaller school yes. who throws 
low 90s and they think they can get him throwing mid 90s and has you know some some good promise he's probably you know a, a b minus level prospect i think he was 13th in the Mariners system which is a pretty decent system i'd say he's probably somewhere in that range for the twins somewhere in the i don't know 15 to 20 range and then two major leaguers which is the blending of this thing like to me if you have just gotten gabriel gonzalez and darren bowen for jorge polanco it would have been exactly what you described, which is, all right, they tried to make a major league for major league swap. There wasn't really a fit, sort of predictably or expectedly. And then they just said, all right, let's just get the best prospects we can for him in terms of just overall value bringing into the organization. We'll clear his salary and then we'll just move forward. Instead, they did that and they got two major league starting pitchers, 34-year-old uh, Anthony DiSclafini. Disclaf- it's DiSclafani, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Edit that out. He's Sclafani. Um, Disco T, somebody told me. Yeah, that's his nickname. I like that better. Anthony Disclafani. It's not even that difficult of a name. I don't know what what's tripping me up about it. Uh, Anti-Italian discrimination, probably. probably, Something like that. Uh, Who's 34. We talked about him a lot uh, two off-seasons ago when he was a free agent coming off a really nice season where he made 30-plus starts with uh, with the Giants. And we were like, he'd be pretty good mid-rotation option for the Twins here if they were trying to fill in some rotation spots. He got a three-year, $36 million deal to re-sign with the Giants, which was above what, obviously, the Twins would have been paying. And he was basically injured for all of – had an ankle problem in the first season. And then last year, he made like 18 or 19 starts and was at times reasonably effective, but then missed the last two seasons with a a flexor or elbow strain, basically. And so they added Not him. Totally clear he's healthy coming into this year. Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> Falvey said, you know, we believe he's ready to go for spring training. That's medical stuff. And we talked to him and everything. But yeah, we'll see. He's 34 also. So, um, and, they, by, and by way of you know, kind of proving that uh, you know, there's question marks about him, the Twins are only paying $4 million right. of the $12 million so that he is. He's he owed, owed $12 million. Yeah. The Mariners had already acquired him like three weeks earlier from the Giants, who, like I said, had signed him to that three year deal originally. As part of the Robbie Ray, Mitch Haniger sort of bad contract swap, right. he was the third piece of that. And in that deal, the Giants paid half of his $12 million salary. Like they included $6 million in cash to Seattle as part of that trade to balance the ledgers right. uh, for those deals. So then, as part of this trade, the Mariners basically just flipped him to the Twins. They're already they're including the six million that the Giants originally sent them, and tossing in another two million to kind of sweeten the pot for the Twins. So the Twins' investment in Disclafani, I said it right that time. There you go. Um, congrats! They should show, throw me a parade. <laughs> I said like a. This is where we need that little button bar we had. I could have. Yeah. I could hit the little audio. <laughs> the Golf clap. <laughs> Disclafani. I don't. It's not a hard name. It's no harder than Gleeman. Really. I mean. it's uh they're only paying him essentially a one year four million dollar deal and the way i looked at it we talked about this on the on the patreon too if they had just signed anthony disclafani to a one year four million dollar deal now i'm just showing off by the way that i've, ma- <laughs> I've mastered the pronunciation um if the twins last week had just signed if he were a free agent to a one year four million dollar deal it's not a deal anybody or signing anybody would be excited about but that would be Right on the money. If anything, that's a little lower than I would expect him to get. It's more Maybe, on the Matt right. Shoemaker side as opposed to the Dylan Jay Bundy Hap. or Jay Happ side, <laughs> right, yeah, which these are not deals that worked out well necessarily. Right. But And so they get that in the trade, which he go, he slots into the fifth spot in the rotation if healthy, which then can push Louis Varlin either to triple A as starter depth or to the bullpen. 
And then they also, and I, I would say this, the fourth piece, but it's probably the second most important piece really behind Gonzalez in the trade, is a 32-year-old reliever named Justin Topa. That one I got right, Justin Topa. <laughs> there you go. Thank yeah. you for being very easy to pronounce. When I first saw it, I, be honest with you, I wasn't sure if it was Topa or Topa. Okay, yeah, I could go there. It's, <laughs> right, it's Topa. Um, who is a guy who has bounced around quite a bit and has his own injury problems, but really had his first breakthrough year, stayed healthy through like 70 innings for the Mariners, was a you know seventh and eighth inning guy for them, yeah. for a contending team, yep. uh, gets a lot of ground balls with a mid-90 sinker, has a pretty decent slider that can get some swings and misses. He throws strikes for the most part. He gives up very few homers because everything's getting pounded into the ground off that sinker. That's an addition. He's only making uh, a million, 1.25 million via arbitration. And if that breakthrough proves for real at age 32, they have him under team control for 2025 and 2026, probably yes. at, you know, 3 million and 5 million. I think there's a decent chance that he's the most valuable component of this deal <laughs> at the end of the day, like not only years from now. Yeah. yeah, right. yeah, right, yeah not only yeah. for the twins, but for everything. Like yeah, if right. Polanco has more injury issues, obviously. And adding him to the bullpen. So what did they get for Polanco? Well, they got a borderline top 100 prospect. They got a second sort of intriguing mid-round recent draftee prospect. They got a fifth starter, which is something they'd been searching for, if only to just provide depth and push Varland out of the number five spot to begin the season. And then they got, you know, a seventh inning setup man caliber reliever who potentially could be in the bullpen for three total years. And... They got about no six and a half million dollars in in spending room. Yeah. Now again, th- there's no salary cap, but it was pretty clear. It's just, it, I mean, it's part getting rid of a player while you still have a, a year of control. Yes. It's part salary dump. I mean, it is. They, well, they, they did this in part to give themselves more room. Uh, yes, to spend on the only an reason additional player. I um saying salary dump strikes me as not to my ears bad. <laughs> is if they don't spend that money. That's a salary dump to me. It's they didn't make this trade for the six million. Fair. And well it yeah. seems fairly clear that they intend to spend the six million, like quickly, within Fair. two weeks. Yep. And so to me it's more just reallocating the same resources, basically. It's adding flexibility. It's basically adding a fifth player to this trade. If it was Polanco traded to the Mariners for Darren Bowen, just straight up. That's a salary dump to me if they didn't spend that money. If they don't spend that right. money. Right. Okay, uh, I mean, it's semantic. Whatever. That's fair. But in terms of your what you brought up on the Patreon, which I think is a valid point, uh, which is your first one of <laughs> well, it's the year. But the, I would say the year, but that's not that insulting. It's only February. <laughs> about that. The millennium. <laughs> sure. The, cent- the uh, century. Uh, which is that, well, yeah, okay, good value. I think we were both agreed on that. You know, how much we viewed it that way is subjective, obviously. But it's... I'll put it this way. Just in terms of pure player value, it's quite a bit sure. more than a, yes. like the baseline expectation for yes. a Polanco trade right. to me. But your point, which I think is fair, was, yeah, okay, are they a better team today than they were the day before it the trade? still doesn't do what you're trying to get done this offseason. Right. right. Now, I think that's debatable. I think it's more, uh, I think it's more debatable than you think. I think, to me, Polanco... Nobody's a bigger Polanco fan than me over the last decade. Like I, I've said this a million times. I think he's the single most underrated or underappreciated player of the target field era. I think he has been either the best or one of the top three players on the Twins 
in so many more seasons than anybody would remember or even in sure. the moment think. I mean, he was the team MVP one year. He was the all-star shortstop one year. I mean, I think he's, to me, I think he's a clear Twins Hall of Famer. I know there's some debate about that. It's years off, obviously. But I think, you know, a switch-hitting middle infielder with power who can draw walks, who has some speed, who, by the way, is beloved in the clubhouse. And we saw this year, but we've seen it when he went from shortstop to second. He will play anywhere they want him to play, even when it's not so pretty. Uh, basically, if they think it, he's better at a different position, he's willing to do it. Good guy, good player, sort of a perfect n- secondary building block for a team in my mind. But what's the actual impact on this year's team? We remove him from the mix, like we said at second base. Right. Julian slides into second. A Julian Farmer platoon at second, I think, is pretty nifty just in terms of roster management and production. Probably, I think. I mean, we saw that for half of last year when Polanco was injured, basically. And if Brooks Lee's ready by the summer, he was going to be the second baseman long term anyway. And so, to is the is the lineup significantly worse uh, having removed Polanco? Maybe for a few months. Yeah. Well, I but mean, I don't it, know that a lot the, of that depends on Brooks Lee, right? right. Obviously, and right? Julian. Ultimately, ultimately, yeah, Julian but, a little bit, but ultimately those five or six hundred at bats that he's that Polanco might have got, or four to five hundred at bats, let's say, given right. that he's maybe hurt, right? Right. For part of it, four hundred, let's say. Yeah, <laughs> I get. Yeah. I don't know. Where I get where you're going. Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was fairly healthy the last four months of the year last year. Right? Well, he was, but he played. Off, he played eighty games. Off the surgery, right? Uh, if. Those four five hundred at bats are going to be given not to Julian. Those or they're going to be given to the last guy on the or the tenth or eleventh or twelfth. See, but guy I don't think that's true. Right, true. I now, think now that tenth or eleventh person might be might be Brooks Lee, right? right but I don't right, think right. that's who's going to get those at bats. I think you're going to use Julian and Farmer and then potentially Lee midseason at second base. First of all, Brooks Lee actually profiles us sim- like if things go well, as a similar player to Jorge Polanco. Switch hitter, you know, not a 30-homer guy, but a 15-20-homer guy, control the strike zone, hit for average, probably better defensively. We'll see. Um, But, see, I think they're going to sign a hitter. I think so, too. That is essentially going to take those at-bats by way of first base DH left field. Yeah, it's just – Do you know what I mean? No, I I agree with you, actually. I think what they're going to be – At least at the beginning of the year. I think what we're going to see them do is – Try and bring in you know, somebody else who can put up similar offensive numbers to Polanco, but not at a middle infield right. position. Right. Because which they is, no longer is, need that. Which is fairly easy to acquire. There's a lot of DH types out yeah. there that could make, maybe play a little bit of first base, maybe a little bit of DH. Essentially, kind of the Donovan Solano role, uh, sort of. Uh, you know, Donovan Solano could re- kind of replace Polanco's production over if you don't. Right. Which is, by the way, last year. why... It, but al- And also people, maybe somebody who can also replace his veteran leadership to, to some extent. Which is that entire thing is why people like us emphasize the value of up-the-middle players. Sure, right. Which is... This is why it's not a problem to have too many middle infielders. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. But what, a big part of Jorge Polanco's value over the years, even last year was that he hit like a corner guy. He hit like a left fielder or first baseman, which is to say, right. you know, 275, 20 homers, 800 OPS, you know, 115 OPS plus, which means he's 15%. But he played a middle infield spot. Well, if playing the middle infield spot ceases having huge value simply because you have other guys who can – Julian, Brooks Lee, et cetera, Austin Martin, who can play the middle infield spot, well, then you're kind of just evaluating him based on his bat. And his bat is good, right. but it's – 
only like really good or great compared to up the middle players. Right. To your point, Donovan Solano, who was a $2 million mid-spring pickup last year right. and did have a good by his standards year, so maybe that's not the sure. baseline. Right. But Donovan Solano, I think, had a 110 OPS plus. Well, Polanco so. had a 115 or something like that <laughs> yeah, OPS right. yeah, plus. Right. Yeah. And so it's – but, you know, one could play second base and if needed third base or shortstop. The other was like an emergency option anywhere but first base and right. not, by the way, all that good at first base. <laughs> right. So that's the right. difference. But – in terms of like where this leaves the Twins roster, you're removing Polanco, but really all you're doing is sort of sliding Julian from DH to second base, which is going to be a drop-off defensively. But I did thought, think Julian improved a lot defensively. The question is, like, does he have a cap to right. his improvement? Yeah. Like, Is there going to be a point where it's like, that's as good as he's going to be? Also, Polanco's probably decreasing his value. Right. That's for, well. Yeah, he never fared that well, even at second base. He fared poorly at, at short in terms of metrics, but his metrics at second. And, and I agree. I, th- I think I think ultimately you're right. I think given the roster right now, those 500, 400, 500 at-bats are not going to a particularly good hitter, right? On the other hand, if they end up acquiring somebody, right. and, and at that point, I'm willing to praise that acquisition. Sure, I get As it. opposed to praising an ac- pra- praising this move because I see some future acquisition. It's going to depend a little bit on the guy that they bring in. Just so For sure. Clear, right? But yeah, if you take... If Polanco were not traded, then it's, you know, the guys are going to move around. I mean, it's not like Polanco would only play second. He'd also DH and vice versa for Julian. But now you remove Polanco. So to begin the season, you take Julian from a primary DH role to a primary second role. And Farmer platoons with him, which I think can be a good setup. We'll talk about Farmer in a minute too here. But uh, that opens the DH spot. I mean, their DH spot is wide open right now. And it's not even clear to me like if the season started today, (laughs) I mean, who the DH would be. And so what that means is you're free to just pursue hitting like unattached to other skills. Now, obviously, you would love to sign a guy who can play center field, who can be a good left fielder. But if all you need is a DH or, like you said, somebody who can stand at first base or left field twice a week or whatever, Jorge Soler types or whatever, well, then you just need to sort of come close to Polanco's overall offensive contributions from just a bat, and that's not that difficult, particularly because now they have six to ten million dollars. Well, I'll, I'll also add this: uh, they don't know exactly what they're getting from Kirilov, and they don't know what they're getting from Kirilov certainly versus left-handed pitching, right? So if you right. bring in somebody who can play, you know, the, the truth is that the type of DH I might see them targeting, it won't. First of all. Right now, at least, they don't have the money to target a really good DH, right? So if, if you're thinking, oh, we're going to get somebody like a Nelson Cruz, a uh, Jorge, Jorge Soler, a... See, I think they do. I, I, I don't think those guys... J.D. Martinez is not going to get much more than $10 million. I don't think. Jorge Soler, I don't I mean, think. Justin Turner just got 13 and a half, right? Yeah, but he can play third base yeah. and first base. Uh I don't think they're going to try and bring in that level of player. What they're going to try and do is bring in a Donovan Solano level player, or somebody, somebody be, uh, maybe a little better than. Donovan Solano. I think it'll Solano be better than player, Donovan right? Solano. I mean, if they yeah, wanted better. Donovan Solano, they could have signed him today. No, like, uh, no, I, for, no, I'm not suggesting they're going to sign Donovan. But, he, Solano. but my point is, even if it is Donovan Solano, which would be the lower end of any spectrum of addition. Yeah, and, and I'm actually talking more about the role, right? I'm, they're right. not going to bring in a full time DH role. They're going to bring that in I somebody agree. who is going to be part time DH and then can maybe do some other things someplace else. Right. I mean, I actually think it'll for 400 at bats. The person like will be like a corner outfielder that they'll just put at DH someday. I mean, they're going to cycle guys through. I think first base is also the other. Right. One. I agree. <laughs> right. But all I'm saying is it's going to be hard to sign anyone, even in the 5 to $10 million range, for that type of skill set, right-handed hitter, corner outfield, first base, DH type of guy, who's not an above-average hitter okay. relative yeah. to the league. And Great. so to me, 
like is the lineup worse? Yeah, today because they haven't done the you know sort of follow up move to this, which is okay. That's fine. I have faith that they're going to do some sort of follow up move. Now we could sit here a week from now and go, boy, that was a horrible follow up move. But I don't know that removing Polanco from the lineup, shifting Julian to second base, preparing for Brooks Lee as sort of your backup plan there, and then bringing in one of we can go through the list because I wrote about it yesterday, but like one of a dozen or so, you know, that I would say would be like acceptable veteran free agent bats. Yeah. Uh actually makes the lineup that much worse. No, I agree. Because yeah, you're basically yep. just replacing Polanco's offense with whatever bat you add. And, you know, again, I think Polanco was a great all-around player, but the all-around part is sort of out of the equation when his ability to play second base isn't as relevant as it was to them. Right, so exactly. that's the next – the domino effect to this is now they got a clear spot in the lineup that's open – They've eliminated the need for that spot necessarily to be attached to skills other than hitting ability. Now they just need to find somebody who can have good hitting ability. Right, yes. And that seems very simplistic. And I, But I do think – we'll see. I mean, J.D. Martinez last season signed, I think, for $13 million with the Dodgers. Now he had a good year, but he's also 36 years old. Jorge Soler would not be unsigned right now if his market was much above that type of money, in my yeah, opinion. I mean, I – I can still see him getting a multi-year deal. I can Maybe. still see him getting a two or three-year deal that kind of takes him out of the Twins. Yeah, well, I guess later I, in the I, show I, we'll... I would, I would pick it to be somebody a level lower than that, like a Carlos Santana, somebody who can play a little first base, play a little DH, right. uh, you know, uh, a veteran presence to replace Polanco's veteran presence like that. Right. I sort of uh, the uh, the love child of uh, Nelson Cruz and uh, and Donovan Solano would be uh, he, bring, he brings Nelson Cruz's gravitas while Donovan I mean Nelson Solano's Cruz back. it's a few years ago but I don't know that inflation on salaries has been that high obviously since especially then. not on DHs right well that's that's the point Which is, is weird because they've got there's so many more DH spots than there used to be yeah but there's never been a time when right. um, other like positional flexibility and yeah, defensive right. skill has been valued you're higher right. relative right. to just hitting. Yep. You see that in like the league wide splits among like left fielders and first basemen, yeah. which are often like below yep. shortstops or yep. center fielders yeah, right. or at the same level. Twenty years ago, it was like, oh, the best hitters were at first base. Right. The second best hitters and were. You got a guy at shortstop who right. can pick it. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, Santana I think would be on the low end with Solano basically, but that's the bar that they have to sort of clear now. And then beyond that, and so yeah, I. I I think Topa has a chance to be a significant addition to a bullpen now, by the way, I that agree. in my mind is a strength. Like they – it's not household names beyond Duran, but I don't yeah, know that – There's certainly questions about you know, whether Stewart can stay healthy. Right. Topa had one breakthrough season. Is he really Absolutely. that guy? But those are you – you're always going to get those – Theo In a bullpen, you're always going to get those questions. You're absolutely right. That's how bullpens work. Right. Go look at the Rays bullpen or whatever bullpen you thought was impressive yes. for the last three right. years. It's all due to a waiver claims and injured starters and right. you know scrappy pickups. Well, and this organization has sort of treated that as such. You absolutely. Know, they, they have not made prior, a and bullpen so a priority. When you right. look at the bullpen and you have Duran, who's one of the best – you know, end game guys in the league. You have Brock Stewart, who went healthy, was phenomenal last year. You have Griffin Jacks, you have Caleb Theobar, you have Topa. Yep. They're still hoping that Stalmont can add something. They're still hoping that Alcala can add something. And then they have Cody Funderburk, and then they have some guys in the minors too. Projection wise, I know that even before they added Topa, Fangraphs, I think, had him as like the number three bullpen in the American League. I'm guessing this, if anything, yeah. has boosted them a little yeah. bit. And so when you when you say I don't necessarily disagree the, with the idea that they 
I don't think they're better for having made this trade in for 2024, but I just think the idea that they got worse, I would push back on that a little bit because I think, yeah, in terms of they traded a, a really good second baseman for some less good pitching, yeah. but the really good second baseman part the actual impact of losing that is lessened because you have Julian and Brooksley and Austin Martin and Kyle Farmer and you know Willie Castro or whatever. They got so many guys who can play second base and hit a little bit. Look, I think they're doing a nice job of shuffling their assets. Don't get me right, especially if they go out and pick up a bad well, right. symbol. That to, to me is that's You're the right. key. That's it, and that's my point. I'll, I'll praise that. Right. I'm not going to praise this. I, and by the way, I also sure. wasn't sure. It wasn't clear to me why if they think what, those DHs are available, why they didn't sign one of those last week and then make the trade for Polanco. Trade away Polanco, right? Is that well? Because you didn't know until now that you would get seven million dollar clearance in the Polanco trade. I mean, that's what they've been talking to them about. I mean, that might be. They've been talking to Seattle for three months. I mean, you're going to get some. You can get. Listen, anytime you want to trade away Polanco, you can trade away Polanco for clearance. Not to get two pitchers and a top 100 prospect. Well, maybe not. That's what they've been trying to do. I mean, they've been talking about Polanco with Seattle for three years, and certainly for three months. the the monetary clearance was the creative aspect of this trade. I think yeah, and, that's and, not. And, I don't and, think, and I, and I would suggest that Disclafati was one of the re, was uh, to some extent included as much from the Seattle side as from the Twins side to help balance that. Maybe, but either way, the Twins were going to have to go out and get a fifth starter. It wasn't going to be Louis right, Garland yeah. to start the season. It just wasn't. That was going to cost money. Right. I mean, I don't know how you bring in a. Major League starting pitcher without uh, yeah. spending. If they would have just traded him for the prospects and the reliever, right? And and Di Sclafani was not included in it. Yeah, we would probably would have said, okay, hey, they saved eleven million dollars, but now they're going to have to go spend five of it on exactly. a starting pitcher. But I'm not sure that starting pitcher would have necessarily been any, a particular much different than Di Sclafani in terms of expectations for the 2020. Yeah, season. although I bet he would have cost more than four million dollars. Yeah. Um, all right, let's read our first ads here because <laughs> then we have a lot. This did not go in the. Uh, the order in which I intended, which you know my OCD <laughs> really prevents, but I'm 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 flowing with it. I'm like Bruce Lee, be like water. There you go. That's you know me. People you, compare me to Bruce Lee a that's lot. Right. Yeah, yeah. He, he still you is, just take whatever container you're presented with. That's you right. Just form into that container. Yeah, it's like you put a goldfish in a bathtub, <laughs> and they look like me. That's what happens. They get big and fat. Like me. Our first sponsor is BetterHelp. Which we always have. Speaking of you know very Zen mindset. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> uh, we will. Uh, I will say this as somebody who has, you know, sought therapy in the past, just for dealing with me. <laughs> right. Who continues to need therapy? <laughs> One of the challenges. Um, listen, the biggest challenge is just deciding you're going to do it. Yes. You know, that's that's. But then that's from not there, you do. the big then, challenge is. Yeah. I need a kind of a smooth path right. or an unencumbered yeah, path right. because anything that bumps you off that path right. on the day you decide you could use some help can stop you from getting the help, and then you might go six right. more months before you And that you path even... can be super bumpy, right. and what BetterHelp does is uh, paves that path for you. It makes right. it very straightforward. So they set it up where you can talk to real licensed therapists who can specialize in the, whatever it is that you want to talk to somebody about or you need assistance with. And they can set it up. You want to do a video chat? They got video chats. You want to do a phone call? They got that. If you don't want to do either of those things, you can just type with someone and do a, a live chat right. with somebody. They will kind of customize it to whatever your comfort level and desire is on that front. They can set it up typically a lot sooner right. and with fewer steps. Less expensive. And less yeah, expensive yeah. also than less a flexible. traditional right. path to therapy. And uh, if you go to betterhelp.com slash Gleeman today, you will get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, 
BetterHelp.com slash Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for it or not. That's BetterHelp, BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Gleeman. HelloFresh is our next sponsor, and uh, John really likes to show off (laughs) on Twitter. Yeah, I do. He wouldn't do it on Instagram if he was on Instagram, too. I have have started Instagram Oh, boy. Oh, Oh, yeah. Uh, they're just, very. Just forget it. <laughs> the meals that you can make with HelloFresh are very Instagrammable, and oh. even as someone, our whole household uh, contains no one who knows how to cook. And yet, when we've done HelloFresh, when we've actually cooked our own meal with HelloFresh, even I'm like, this plate looks pretty good. Yes, it like, does. And yet, John and Chrissy, they actually know you know the basics of cooking, and so their plates look restaurant quality. And that's what you can get with HelloFresh, which is they will send you – you can go on and you choose the menu you want. You know, If you are a vegetarian, they have that. If you have kids, they have kid-friendly right. menus. Yes. If you are on a specific diet that you're going for something, they have that. Or quick, you can just – Or just quick and easy is right. one of the options. Yeah, right, right. Um, and you can also just pick and choose. They send you all the ingredients you need sort of portioned out, fresh to your door, uh, dry iced and you know everything is ready to go. And – Everything's a, a, a big, a little cardboard yes, sheet, a that giant has all the recipe, all the pictures, yeah. but it also has like literal step-by-step instructions with pictures, like which is very helpful. Here's how you do julienne potatoes. Right. Here's what ginger looks that like. That was the one I always use, which is, here's I needed the picture because it was like, d- yeah, slice the ginger and I was like, what does the, what is ginger? And there was a picture of ginger. So it really helped. And so you can get uh, healthier meals. High quality meals. You can also just, you know, it's fun sometimes to cook your own stuff. And I also mentioned they also now have breakfast. And uh, I've had both the like heated sandwiches that you have for breakfast. Yeah. And then like yesterday, Chrissy was like, I got to run. I got no- Oh, thank God there's a banana nut muffin from HelloFresh sitting in the fridge. So Fantastic. you go to HelloFresh.com slash Gleeman Free. All one word. It, yep. And use the code Gleeman Free. And the reason it's Gleeman Free is you get free breakfast for life. You get one breakfast item in every shipment box how, for however long your subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash Gleeman Free and use the promo code Gleeman Free. HelloFresh tagline is America's number one meal kit. Okay. So let's see. We talked a little bit more about the Polanco trade, but the. It's a four-for-one trade. I will argue that their intention is to make it at minimally a five-for-one trade, possibly a six-for-one trade by using that money. But, yes, we'll see. Um, I'm, uh, you know, maybe they tricked me, but I'm confident <laughs> that they're going to do that, it. Uh, every Everything I've heard from outside of, out of that organization is that their payroll, you know, an opening day will be higher than their payroll was before they made the Polanco trade. Which was like one twenty five. Which essentially means they will spend that money, <laughs> right? They yeah. cleared six to seven. It went right. from it was one twenty five right. the morning of the Polanco trade. Yes. After the trade, it was roughly like one eighteen and change. Let's call it one eighteen. So my assumption is at minimum they will spend the six or seven million to get it back to one twenty five, and then to your point, there's probably still another five million, yeah, let's say, of, of leeway. Yeah. Yeah. To me, if you're at ten or eleven million now, they may view that as wanting to add two hitters. I think they do. Yeah, I mean, I think they the DH spot is something that you could sort of attempt to fill, not with a pure DH, but with a guy you say this is going to be our primary, you know, five hundred at bat guy. And then I think they would like to find a right-handed bat specifically that can be paired with Walner, Kirloff, Kepler in a platoon situation against left-handers, which that person needs to be able Correct. to play corner outfield and or first base and can also be part of the DH mix. But I think that could be two different guys. I also just think 
there's a there's some scenario where they just re-sign Michael Taylor with some of that money or I all of that money. I think there is. And he could play center field. If Buxton's out, he could also be a left-handed masher as a right-handed hitter in left field or right field, you know, take over for Walner in left field against lefties. Then you're, you know, he's not uh, a slugger, although he did hit 20 homers last year. But, you know, theoretically, a Taylor-Buxton-Kepler defense is as good as you will ever get. Uh, and so I think that's an option, too. There's some flexibility. We can, in a minute here, we'll we'll read, like, I listed a dozen guys I think would be uh, in the mix to sort of bring in for that money. But um, I think we talked a lot about, like, I don't want this to be a send-off for Polanco as if we're saying, like, you know, good riddance or we're, like, not appreciating what he was. We spent a lot of time on that on the Patreon side. I think Polanco was tremendously underrated. I think he was a hugely valuable all-around player. Uh, I think, you know, he was the longest-tenured player along with Kepler. They both signed when they were 16 years old in 2009. Uh, I'll, I'll always remember the moment we were in uh, we were in Houston, I think, before the Astros series, and they came out to the podium together, and Kepler did most of the talking. But Yeah, right. It's the most I've ever heard Kepler talk, by the way. Right. Uh, yeah. And he was saying just how proud he was for himself and the team to, you know, snap the playoff losing streak and be in position where they're playing the Astros. But also just, he said, I've been with this guy for 15 years next to me, pointing to Jorge Polanco. We were roommates when we were 17 years old. Right. Like we, we, we came to this country huh? from Germany and uh, Dominican Republic, right. respectively. Yeah. You're, national sci- you're nationally signed yes. at 16 years old. 16 years right. old. Yeah, right. um, they've been through it together. Like yeah. these guys, they've been on teams together for half their lives, basically. Right. And to be sitting there at a podium in front of a big playoff game where they're both making you know real money and they're both stars on a playoff team. And it was very fun to watch Kepler, who is not normally the most uh, loquacious uh, speaker, Basically said, I'm so proud of of this guy next to me, and then Polanco, who's even less of a course, <laughs> basically said, "You too, bro. You too." And I, it was just so cute to me. Yeah. And so I don't want to, you know, it's two weeks before spring training. There's going to be a lot of moving parts. The natural reaction to this trade, as you can see, is what's next. Yeah, what is right. the domino effect? Yep. I don't want to be lost in that. The idea of how good Jorge Polanco was, what he meant to the Twins organization, how long he spent in the Twins organization. I think he, if he's healthy, he's going to be really good for Seattle. I think one of the underrated aspects of Polanco, beyond his performance, is also in part because he's not English is not his you know primary language, right? Right. Uh, how much of a leader he was in right. that clubhouse, especially among some of the Latin players. Yep. You know, that for sure. Uh, I think he was so, re- as a, you know, veteran of the organization and as somebody who, you know, played through a lot of, uh, played through a lot of injuries, uh, performed very well, played up the middle, both, you know, took on things like shortstop when right. he wasn't, uh, uh, you know, a shortstop. For he played wherever they wanted him to play. And performed at a high level throughout it. I think in general he was, I think it's I think it's underrated how much they feel like they're going to miss his right. leadership in that locker room. Sure, but I think with that said, the idea of how do we replace how good Jorge Polanco has been on the field? Right. I think there's a very good chance that Jorge Polanco wasn't going to be able to replicate Maybe. that yeah. at this point Fair. of his career anyway, Fair. and that's a big part of the strain. Yeah. I will always remember. We talked about this on the Patreon, but I will always remember. Um, you know, when you say 20 years from now, 10, 20, I'll not have any memory of anything. <laughs> um, 10 years from now, when you say, 
What was it like to watch Jorge Polanco as a player? What will immediately pop in my mind, I hope, is him uh, batting left-handed against yeah. a right-handed pitcher right. at Target Field. His strong side. Yep. And swinging and missing uh, you know, some changeup or something out of the zone and missing it by eight feet and spinning himself <laughs> right. uh, into the ground, losing his helmet, falling to one knee, and you know, everyone there thinking, is this a guy who's ever played baseball before? And then one pitch later, ripping a fastball into the right field corner for a you know game tying double or something like that. I mean, I he I never have seen anybody go from looking completely lost and uh, inept physically, like so clearly something's wrong with his ankle, which right, often yes, was the case, right, or his yeah, knee, right. or his leg, or whatever. To oh yeah, he's a clutch player. Like right. the number of walk offs and game tying hits and just good at bats that he put together, particularly late in his career when he added some plate discipline. Uh, was I just think so underrated, and he was just such a good. He is to me like he's not a star, he's not a Hall of Fame candidate, he's not any of that. But he is such the epitome to me of a secondary piece of a championship caliber team, which is like up the middle player does everything well, lunch pail guy, yes, good exactly. in the locker room, and, and and like you said, willing to do everything to the point where he was called up when he was out of single A. Yeah, he was 20. To, to pull up to be a utility role for like uh, a week. one of the strangest yeah. Terry Ryan moves. Yeah, a 21 year old, 20 year old uh, or something like that called out to single A to kind of be up there. And then and then the next year they did it again. Right. They called him for like a year, a week well, and and then or something like that. The other thing is we talked about this at the time, I remember 10, whatever, 10 years ago or whatever it was, which is he was a shortstop like in the low minors. Then they realized hey, he's not really a shortstop. They moved him to second base, I remember, at right. double A and triple A. And he played like Exclusively second base at Triple A for the entire first half of twenty six. I don't remember yeah, what season. Yeah. Twenty six. Then they called him up. As they a called rookie. him up as a shortstop because <laughs> you know the Nishioka Ploof Dozier <laughs> right. contingent just weren't capable of playing shortstop right. around that time. Right. And they called him up as a, purely a shortstop. He hadn't played shortstop in like a year at that point, yeah. but he played shortstop and he made. He was the starting All Star shortstop by the way in twenty nineteen, and then a year later. They said, uh, we want you to play second base. And he said, absolutely, right. I'll play second base. And then as his last uh, position switch in the middle of last year, because he had been out and that had opened the door for Julian at second base. And Julian looked – you couldn't remove Julian's bat from the lineup. Right. And he had improved enough at second base where they thought he's certainly more playable at second base than he would be at third base from a throwing standpoint. And they came to Polanco once Polanco came back off the I.L. and basically said, we want you to play third base. Because there's a rookie that's basically taking your job at second base, and we think you will be less bad at third base, even though you've never played third base before. And it's my understanding that he that he said, absolutely, I'll go out there right now and take ground balls sure. at third base. And I think that sort of – as someone who's covered the team now for a few years, that is the sort of stuff that I think gets underappreciated because not all guys are like that. Yeah. And by the way – It's appreciated by the team. It's appreciated yes. by the players, right? Yeah. And you might have looked at him and went, right. it wasn't pretty at third base. Right. Well, it's prettier than it would have been with Julian at, at third base, and that's and when he's not standing in front of a microphone after talking about it. Well, which, that's the other thing, right? Yeah, you, you, you don't understand. You you forget that how important that is. Right. You just start taking it for granted. Uh, okay, so just to touch on the Seattle guys very quickly again, we went over Gonzalez as a prospect right. and all this stuff very much in depth on the uh, on the Patreon. So I would subscribe to that and listen. You can actually listen to that for free if you subscribe. Yeah. Um, <coughs> I think if you're ranking the you know, how the Twins perceived the value of these players in this trade. I think undeniably Gabriel Gonzalez, Gabby Gonzalez is number one. He's a top 100 prospect sure. in their mind. 
20 years old, crushed low A, struggled a little bit at high A in the second half of last year. But again, he was 19 at high A. It's like just being there is emblematic of being a good prospect. There's a, I tried to reach out to not only Twins people, but people from other organizations to get a sense of like how good is this guy as a prospect. And the spectrum of responses I got was incredible. Some people were like, this guy swings at everything. He's five foot ten. He's put on weight. He might not even be a right fielder. He might be first base DH. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, he's a, he, he might be a good hitter, but I don't really see him as a good prospect. Other people from other organizations that I trust their opinion on prospects were like, oh, this guy's one of the 50 best prospects in baseball. Uh, this time next year, he's going to be an elite prospect. Right. He absolutely crushes the ball. Uh, you know, the elite combination of power, but also bat to ball ability. He's not a big strikeout guy. And yeah, he swings at everything, but he's 19. I think if, if you break down this trade and you start diving into it, one of the reasons they made this trade, when they made this trade, before they actually needed right. to make this trade to free up the money, is they really like Gabby Gonzalez. Right. Now, right. almost by definition, a 19-year-old prospect is a boomer bust prospect. There is a very decent chunk of the uh, Gabriel Gonzalez uh, career outcome pie yeah. that is didn't even make it to AAA, right. yeah. let alone right. become a you know regular in the majors. Yeah. But – he tore it up in single in low A and then got promoted right. mid season to high A and went hit two fifteen. Right. <laughs> right. But but he's nineteen. There's also a chance that he's just a cleanup hitter three yeah. years from now <laughs> and he's like, just yeah. their cleanup hitter. I'll put it this way. This is the Jorge Polanco trade for now. Yeah. And probably it'll go down as, you know, ten years from now that this would be the Jorge Polanco trade. Right. But he's the only guy in this deal that could change it to the Gabriel Gonzalez right. trade. Yeah. Right. Uh then I think Because he's the only guy named Gabriel Gonzalez. That's true. Justin (laughs) Topa cannot make it the Gabriel Gonzalez trade unless he changes his name. It's true. Unless he changes his name. That'd be funny. All four guys in the trade change their name. To Gabriel Gonzalez. Be be better than saying Di Sclafani 100 times. Uh, Sorry. I feel like I'm going to have to – my introduction to this guy two weeks from now in Fort Myers is going to be – I'm sorry I've been botching your name on the podcast. Um, I'm pretty convinced that the number two – Value in this trade from their standpoint was Topa, yeah. the reliever. Yeah, I think so too. Because he's under team control for three years. They really love the sinker slider, heavy ground ball, but some ability to miss bats and throw strikes. Is just such a like uh, you know traditional prototypical setup man profile, which is what do you really want in a reliever? You love guys who throw hard. He throws mid nineties. You like guys who miss bats. Now he doesn't miss bats like you know uh, Duran or anybody at this point, but he gets a strikeout in inning. But what you really want in a reliever is a guy who keeps the ball on the ground and does not give up home runs. Because as we saw, someone like Pagan, even when he was going well, was susceptible to one swing changing the game because he was a fly ball pitcher. So I think Topa has a chance. Again, he's a breakthrough guy at 32. You never know how that's going to go. He's had some injuries. I really think there's a decent chance that he's like, you know, their primary setup man for a lot of the Uri. A Griffin Jacks level pitcher, basically. Yeah, that's what we're like. That's what we're hoping for. He's a lot older right. than Griffin Jacks, but right. that doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, relievers, I don't care. I, I, I mean, yeah. I agree with there's you. a difference to me yeah. from a 22-year-old I, I and mean, a 38-year-old. It, it, it's, but It's funny because for 20 years I've been telling people, no, you got to pay attention to their age. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's right. one of the things that I think casual baseball fans don't pay much attention to the age in general of prospects right. or everything else or you know somebody they hear about. And it's like, no, you really got to pay attention to their age. But when it comes to relievers, that's Right, because the, the development uh, is not linear with relievers. Right. First of all, half of good relievers, probably more, were just guys who were on a starter path and just right. c- couldn't hack it or got hurt. And then yeah. one day someone went, you're a reliever. By the way, you're on. Yeah. They're good enough to be to hang around 
as a starter until they were 27 or 28, right. but they weren't good enough Gr- to become a starter. By the way, <laughs> Griffin Jacks, yeah, right, same thing. Right, right. Uh, and then the other half are just guys who, like Topa, had injury problems or couldn't get consistent, and then one year at AAA just tweak something, and all of a sudden they're a good reliever. Look at Thielbar. Right, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, the third most valuable guy I think is probably a toss-up in their mind between uh, Di Sclafani and uh, Bowen. And I think Di Sclafani, if healthy, would almost be precisely the type of guy we'd be sort of advocating oh, for, for them sure. to get. But right. it's just such a big question mark with his health. But when health, I mean, he's been a borderline playoff caliber starter when healthy, Listen, but when certainly they, when, a third, when fourth they starter. signed him for 336 right. at the time, the we were like, boy, I would have signed him for 336. Right. You know what I mean? That's why we're bad GMs. <laughs> yeah, those first two years did but not yeah. work out so well. Yeah. Right. I mean, he he's a good pitcher. I mean, it's he's probably been kind of every other year in the last two years he's been hurt. But you know, if healthy, I think there's a decent chance he certainly gives them what Maeda gave them last year, something like that, which is like a hundred and something innings of a league average ish or How better. Much danger is there that uh, we talked about this several times mid season. How much danger is it that they hang on to him? Too long, right? <laughs> right. That's a one-year deal, a one-year veteran deal that they yeah, although, they want to retain some depth, etc. I think a lot of that might depend on you know how how quickly somebody like Festa right. ends That's up a, developing. The thing is, even Balazovic takes a step forward, or Sands takes a step forward, or somebody well, like that. Neither know. of those guys are starting, but uh, Festa is starting. The other two yeah, aren't starting. Uh, Balazovic, I don't think it's taking Why? a step forward towards much. <laughs> Maybe the waiver wire. <laughs> Please step onto the waiver Easy. wire, Jordan. Uh, we'll see. He's out of options. That's all I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, w- what he does is make it so that they're not immediately relying on Louis Varlin as the fifth starter. And that's not a problem because you don't think Louis Varlin can handle that job. It's a problem because then if Louis Varlin is your opening day fifth starter, right. one of the five starters is going to get hurt. By the way, realistically, two, three, or four of them are going to get right. hurt at some point right. during the season. And then who steps in? Right. Well, then it's David Festa, Simon. Like, you have to be able – this is what they did last year when they acquired Lopez and they started Ober – at triple a yep. and varlin at triple a it wasn't because they didn't think those guys were major league starters it was because they wanted a sixth guy at triple a a seventh guy at triple a for when the inevitable injuries happen so Di Sclafani, if nothing else does that it buys them some time to have to turn to the varlins and festas so they can be more of a mid-season addition i actually think i was a little i was a little surprised that they're now seemingly so focused on bats which i think is reasonable but I wouldn't mind one more I sort think, of I mean, <laughs> functioning major league starter. Although the problem is, from a roster standpoint, right. uh, unless you can stash them at AAA, also, right. what do you really no. do there? No, so when they, I mean, that's, I mean, unless this comes down to if they can get somebody that's replacing Sonny Gray, then yeah, you go and get somebody well, to right. replace Sonny Gray. And you, you no, you but I meant yeah, as a fourth or fifth right. starter type right. of guy. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's why young starting pitching is so valuable. First of all, they're cheap and they throw hard and you can dream on them, yeah. but also you can just stick them at AAA for a while. Yeah. You can't stick the Disclafanis of the world no. at AAA for a while and no. sort of keep them cool in their heels. Uh, heels. Um, okay, so in terms of what's next, we talked about this a little bit, but they're at like 118 in payroll, which is 20th out of 30 teams. They were like 17th the last few years. Um, I think... They're not totally out of the pitching game, but I think the focus would be on what we're talking about, which is corner bats and probably right-handed. Maybe center field in terms of Taylor, um, but that would 
might just be specific to Michael Taylor, Michael A. Taylor. Yeah. Uh, you know, if he wants to come back on a one-year, seven million dollar deal or something like that, I would be all I mean, for Duvall's that. Duvall's played some center field, and he right. kind of fits a yeah. little bit of that. I don't think you'll like him in center field, but no, yes, you're Michael right. He's like played some center field. Right? Oh, <laughs> did you, were you there for this? When I was at that side table on f- last Friday, uh, I got Rocco all worked up. Did you? I got you know how so I I stopped by there, but I was talking to other people. Yeah, well, I turned at one point and you were behind me, yeah, so I was yeah, like, yeah. I didn't know how much you heard, but you know, get Rosie going. They like to do on K fan, <laughs> yeah, Mark yeah. Rosen. He's you got easy Rocco to, going. Yeah, I tried to say to him that it was my theory, which is something we've discussed on this show, yes. that his uh, personal bar for what a acceptable level of center field defense is, uh-huh. is higher than most because he himself was a good center fielder. Right. And he immediately said, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's true. And I sort of went through some examples. Because I've heard other people in the right. organization okay. say that is true. Well, I'll just, I'm going to say it. And he said, did Derek tell you that? <laughs> Which was great. And I wanted to be like, no, but yes. And he was like, Derek always tells me that. And I don't think it's true. And I want to be like, buddy, I think it's true. <laughs> um, but it was it was a funny little. By the way, Rocco did a uh, hour long uh, in studio interview with Dan Barrero yes. right before Twins Fest yeah. the, the last the Thursday yeah. ago, and I thought it was phenomenal. And it is actually some of the questions you might think that seems like something Gleeman would want to ask him because I sent Barrero <laughs> some questions. One of them was something we've talked about on the show a ton, which is the I'm of the belief that the there's a too big of a gap between on-camera, pre- and post-game Rocco that is 95% of the impression Twins fans get right, yeah. and just Rocco, real personality Rocco. Right. And I've said this to Barrero. I've talked about it with Barrero. And so Barrero kind of asked him about that. And I thought he answered it. But in general, I thought the hour-long sort of three-segment sit-down in-studio face-to-face interview with Barrero – stripped all that stuff away and made it kind of impossible for him not to show his real personality or something more closely resembling his real personality. He dropped an F-bomb accidentally at one point. (laughs) He was making some jokes. And I thought if – I've said this to Rocco. um, Hi, Rocco. Uh, If he could show 10% more of that, I think the entire perception of him as a, you know, kind of robot manager would change. But it's it's not so fun to sit in front of the Bally camera – you know, two hours before a game and answer a question from me and Doe about why some guy's betting sixth instead of seventh or right. how long this guy is from coming off the IL. Like, those are not fun questions to answer <laughs> when you're the face that has to go on TV. Right. Whereas as soon as that camera goes off, if you ask him even the same question, you get a much different vibe. And so I thought this was a very funny uh, – but, yeah, he rejected my premise. Huh, interesting. He said he thinks he values center field defense – a lot, but his premise was that's correct to do that, and I don't think I value it any more or any less because I was a center fielder, which I believe he believes that because to him, (laughs) his playing career is almost irrelevant to him. Like He never talks about it, even though he's a great prospect, even though he's a great center fielder before the the health problems and all that. Yeah, it was funny because like clearly Falvey is on our side Bobby of it. has probably said that to him. Yes. Yeah. And so he yeah. got all worked up. We were yeah. talking about Michael Taylor and Willie Castro and Buxton and Austin Martin and all this <laughs> stuff, but I thought it was good. Um, before we – well, actually, let's – well, let's read our last sponsor and then we can go through – I got I got 12 names we can we can banter – banty about? Banter about. That's not right. That's right. Ban- bandy, bandy about. about. Bandy, bandy about. about. Okay. Yeah. Di Sclafani. Uh 
But first, let's read our last sponsor. Let's talk a little bit about Raycon earbuds. Yes, uh, I used them the other day, in fact. Did you? Really I was on a Zoom with Derek Falvey, yep. and I used them because here's the beauty of Raycon earbuds. They're at a lower price point than some of the ones you may be familiar yes. with. I would argue that they are at minimum as good and in some ways superior yeah. Yeah. in terms of quality. Especially things like battery life and yes. how long they last. I can, I can personally attest to that. They more reliably link up to the devices in a way that – is not annoying to me. Yep. I think the feel, the physical feel in your ear is better yeah. than a lot of other uh, brands. And like you said, the you know if you're going to be on Zoom all day right. or whatever. It matters. It's just longer battery life. Right. Uh, and if you... They're, they're, they're super well engineered. Yes. And, and that matters with earbuds. Wireless earbuds, that matters with. You got, you got something that you're plugging into your iPhone or something. Yeah, right. you know that they're connected to the iPhone because you can see the wire. When you're yes. dealing with something like wireless earbuds and dealing with that, you want to have something that's well engineered and can hang out and can be outside the box for you know more than an hour at a time. So you go to buy Raycon, B-U-Y. So buy Raycon, R-A-Y-C-O-N, dot com slash Gleeman, and you will, can, can get 15% off your Raycon order, and they'll give you free shipping on Correct. it. Correct. So that's buyraycon.com slash Gleeman to get the 15% off and the free shipping. Buyraycon.com slash Gleeman. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's talk l- real quick, and then we'll talk Maurer and some other things to wrap up here. But uh, I wrote this the other day or yesterday. So we think they got five to – $10 million to spend, roughly, in their self-imposed payroll limit. It's funny that people have uh, realized that I mentioned that at every reference of the payroll, <laughs> self-imposed. I think it's important to mention that. Sure. But now people are like, it's annoying that he mentions it like that. Meanwhile, if you don't mention it, it's like, you're you're protecting the polls. I feel like you've been reading Reddit too much. <laughs> well, if you read Reddit at all, you've been reading Reddit too much. So People send me Reddit stuff, which I think <laughs> is a bad thing to, to, to set up. But... Um, Here's a Reddit thread where they said you're an a-hole. Oh, thanks for sending me that. It's really lovely of you. Um, okay, so let's go over 12 sort of corner baths plus a couple other. by J bonus? <laughs> yeah. JL bonus? Yeah. And he smells too when he comes over in the morning. People are like, how would you know that? Well, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. Uh, okay, here are 12 of the unsigned free agents. Again, two weeks before spring training. So if you're unsigned at this point. Yeah. Um, number one, uh, JD Martinez. Sure. I just ranked him in terms of like the impact I thought they could make on this current roster. JD Martinez. He's also a better fit in that he's also a one-year guy. Solaire right. definitely needs to be looking for multiple years. Yeah, I'm I'm curious what that ends up. Solaire ends up being, but yeah, JD Martinez. I would say he's not quite at the level Nelson Cruz was when the Twins signed him. But if you're naming the best DHs of the last 20 years, they're both near the top of the list. Uh, I th- he's 36, whereas Cruz was like 38 when the Twins signed him or whatever. Cruz had been closer to kind of an MVP level still in terms of hitting, whereas I think Martinez is more of an all-star level now. He was previously at that level, like when he was 28 to 33 or whatever. He slipped a little bit, and I think last year um, his strikeout rate jumped, which is maybe a little worrisome at 36 because yeah. that might suggest some slowed bat speed and all that. On the other hand, he slugged like almost 600 for the Dodgers. He had 33 homers and fewer than 500 plate appearances for them. He had like a 135 OPS plus, which would have led Twins regulars last season. Uh, he is just a right-handed, pure DH. You're not going to play him anywhere in the field. Yeah. Uh, if you think of him as kind of a poor man's Nelson Cruz, 
in terms of just hitting ability. I don't think he has the same sort of clubhouse rep and all that stuff. He signed a one-year $13 million deal with the Dodgers last year. He had a good year, but also he's 36 now instead of 35. And he had some back problems in the middle of last year, too. He's had some back problems. So my thought is, you know, one year, eight to 12 million should be sort of the range that JD Martinez is looking at here. I mean, his suitors are going to be somewhat limited because he's purely a DH. On the other hand, like you said earlier, post Nelson Cruz, I think the Twins prefer to cycle players through the DH spot. But. I keep hearing they don't want to clog the DH right. spot, and he clogs the Which DH I spot. get it, right. but I remember them talking at the time about Nelson Cruz right. and how they were willing to make an exception to that yep. because I he's would. just so much better than sort of even a good DH. He's a he's an elite DH. Yep. The question to me is whether they see Martinez as close enough to that level yes. that you're willing to make the flexibility sacrifice just to get that bat in the fifth spot in I your would. lineup. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's, it's debatable. I, I think, agree, but, I agree, yeah. Um, I mean, if he were 30, yeah, absolutely. But at 36, I think it's a little bit available. uh, Jorge Soler, who you've mentioned a few times, is, I think, like a half step down as a hitter in terms of consistent production. Sure. He seemed to be hot and cold depending on the year. So last year, 36 homers for the Marlins. (laughs) Right. Uh, in 2019, to Shohei Otani basically in terms of overall home runs, right? Uh, I mean, it's got to be up there. Yeah. 2019, he led the league with 48 homers for the Royals, but in the three years in between, yeah. he had a 99 OPS plus, which means he was an right. average hitter. Right. You can't be an average hitter when you're that bad defensively as Jorge Soler. Right. Soler is a DH in my mind. But unlike Martinez, you can play him in left field right. or right field. Like if you wanted to make him. Primarily a DH, but against lefties, he plays left field in place of Walner or right. something like that. Yeah. You could do that yeah. twice a week, and you wouldn't love it, but you could you could handle it. Right-handed bat. I mean, when he's locked in, he hits bombs. I mean, he just launches the wall. Yeah. But strikes out quite a bit. Not a good defender. Not real base runner. But if you just want to add 35 homers up from the right side to the middle of your lineup, and you want a little more flexibility than J.D. Martinez offers, yep. and he's like four years younger. He's like his early 30s. That would be a, a realistic option. Now, he opted out of – he had signed a three-year deal uh, two off-seasons ago, opted out of the last year right, at yeah. $13 million, Right. which tells me, like you said, he's either looking for significantly more than $13 million on a one-year deal or most likely another two- or three-year right. deal. It would be trade rumors – Estimate on him at the beginning of the offseason was three years, 45 million. Right. He ain't going right. to get that. I don't think he's going to get that either. So now it's a question of will he take a one-year deal or a one-year deal with an option, something right. like that. Uh, Investing okay. on it. So to me, those two, if you're just looking for power from the right side and overall hitting impact that can fit on this roster, J.D. Martinez and Jorge Soler would be the most efficient way to spend you know, 10 to $12 million Agreed. or whatever for this season. And we just took a quick break. <laughs> we Just before we move on to the next one, we just had some breaking news. Well, be honest. First, bit. John had to pee. Uh, yeah, yes. And then while he was That's peeing, right. like, breaking news happened. Breaking news. Which is how I, I – it's funny. I bursted through the bathroom door <laughs> to tell him. And it really wasn't a great decision to do that. My shoes are really uh, – You'd have been scarred. Uh, yeah, physically, emotionally. Um, break it, the breaking news, which we'll talk about it here in a second – was uh, Evan Drellick, who we were talking about his article earlier from The Athletic. Uh, Bally, or Diamond Sports Group, which owns Bally, has asked the bankruptcy court to approve one-year contracts with the Texas Rangers, Cleveland Guardians, and Minnesota Twins 
for 2024, which TV means only. TV only, not right. streaming not rights, streaming. which means for the Twins, which has been the discussion over the last several weeks. And that the bankruptcy judge will rule on that, we think, on February 9th, Friday, Officially, a, week, a week from yes. today. Yeah. But our understanding is now, between now and then, uh, the Twins will be back on Bally, which has been trending towards that way, I would say, for about a month now, several weeks now. They'll be back on Bally Sports North for this upcoming season only. After that, they'll be free agents again. Right. Uh, the, the that'll be TV. They own their streaming rights, which means it's effectively the same situation it's been for the last several years, which puts into jeopardy the uh, no blackouts. Uh, yes, there's been enough pivot. I know that we'll there see. was an I mean, they announcement have, way back at the winter meetings, or you know, it was yeah. revealed. Corey Provas basically said, "I think that the streaming rights yeah. are supposed to be uh, available in market this year," and everybody praised it. And now I will tell you, I have sources with the Twins that have told me there is some question about right. that because there have been so many twists and turns to this right. drama over this that it's not totally clear what is going to be going on with streaming market streaming rights in market. What we know is pretty much. They'll be back on Bally Sports North for another season. Right. So those broadcasts will be the same that you've been essentially watching for the last several years. We don't know specifically how much money, right? although we think, based on what Cleveland and Texas... It's been reported Cleveland and Texas are getting about 85% of what they were getting. Their existing deal. Right. So if the Twins got 85% of their existing deal, that would drop it from like $55 million to $45 million, effectively, something like that. Uh, which I think at this stage would be a win for them. Yeah, for uh, sure. And what and what impact that might have or might not have. Right. Then payroll the, is also an, right. Then the question. Right. And we'll talk a lot about this once we can wrap our hands around this more securely in terms of the details coming out. Uh, is okay. Let's say they make forty million, forty-five yeah. million. Yeah. Do they invest a significant amount of that back into the payroll? For more players at this late stage, or are they still in a spot where they're like, "Oh, we got ten million to spend," which we've talked about for yeah. this whole episode? Yeah. Uh, I am. Uh, I think we're we're equally skeptical. Yeah. Uh, in terms of f- further investment beyond the sort of one hundred twenty-five to one hundred thirty million dollar payroll range, I am skeptical as well. I don't think this, you know, but we can talk about that at time. So basically, this news just broke, and it's Friday. Yes. If we can get more substantial information on this now it's not going to become official official until next friday but you know we may be doing a patreon on it we may be addressing it as part of a mailbag we might right. be uh, but anyway you know we'll treat it as a you know breaking news potentially emergency podcast if we can get some up. actual details that you can hammer home on the broadcast the streaming situation the blackout situation the monetary situation right. the sort of plan going forward because it's a lot of speculation still at this point. It's a lot of like connecting dots, which we can do that. We've done that for three months now. <laughs> yeah. But I would prefer to – if we're going to treat it like breaking let's news – Let's give it 48 hours and see what happens. Sort of, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Sign up for the Patreon. You'll get it delivered yeah, as soon as we do it. You're going to love it. Yeah. Um, okay. So just to read the uh, – I'll just read the last 10 names on this list of uh, guys they could pursue. Michael A. Taylor, who we talked about. He's yes, the one kind of different guy than the rest on this list because he's a center fielder. Now, he is a right-handed bat, right. and he can hit lefties. Uh, my sort of top choices for corner outfield bats <laughs> yeah. would be Adam Duvall and Tommy Pham, who I feel like you and I have talked 
more about Adam Duvall and Tommy Pham as off-season or trade deadline twins targets over the last five years than we've talked about our own family on this show. I will tell you, I've had a league source say, you know, the, the scuttlebutt around various agents is that the twins were interested in Tommy Pham. Right. Now, that's not anybody from within the twins organization. That's just sort of gossip amongst the agents. Right. Uh, Brandon Belt, who's a first-base DH type, he's a really good player at this stage even and I think largely underrated for his career with the Giants, was good for the Blue Jays last year, yeah. but he's left-handed, yeah. and he plays first base. Yes. So that's a lot of overlap with Alex Kirloff. Uh, I would say sort of the <laughs> poor man's version of Tommy Pham and Adam Duvall would be Randall Grichik and <laughs> Garrett Cooper yeah. as a you know decent right-handed corner, probably more in the 3 to $5 million range instead of the 5 to $10 million range, something like that. Uh, if you want a little bit more defensive flexibility, I would say Enrique Hernandez or Whit Merrifield yeah. are not quite super utility guys at this stage of their careers because Whit Merrifield's like 35 and Hernandez is like 32. But they can play all three outfield spots. They can play second base. They're right-handed bats. Now, they're not good, good right-handed bats, but they're decent right-handed bats. Uh, I think in particular Hernandez is someone that the Twins have been linked to at times uh, over the years. And then the last two on this were guys we've – talked about earlier on the show yeah. which is donovan solano which bring him right back for same type of two million dollar deal tell him you're platooning with alex kirloff at first base again worked just fine last year that'd be underwhelming but we know it's a fit because it was a fit last year and then carlos santana you've mentioned a few times the last couple shows who uh was once a really good middle of the order guy for cleveland now he's like 37 years old <coughs> he's yeah. a switch hitter first base um doesn't really hit that well from the left side at this point. But from the right side, could certainly platoon with Alex Kirloff similar to how Donovan Solano would platoon with Alex Kirloff. That's a lot of names. I'm not telling you those are world-beating, throw-parade, headline-grabbing right. signings. Yeah. But I'm telling you for a team that has a need for right-handed bats There's a couple and has throw parade. 5 to $10 million <laughs> right. minimally left to spend, yeah. you should be able to get one or two of those guys on that list. And I think that would supplement the roster in a way that their current guys, even in the minors, but also in the majors, just doesn't in terms of role and handedness and skill set and positional ability and all that. Uh, so I would go so far as to say I would be surprised if one of at least one of those 12 players that I just mentioned is not on the Twins on opening day. I would be surprised by that. Yep. Uh, so I, I think I would be too. We'll talk actually. about that if and yep. when if and when that happens. Okay, so just to uh, I might be surprised if one of those guys is not in the Twins uh, roster and by the time pitchers and catchers report. Should be well, yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> right, probably. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, okay, so the last two things we want to talk about. Uh, one was Joe Mauer, <laughs> and the other was the winter meltdown. We'll talk about Joe Mauer first, I guess. Uh, again, we did a 90-minute show on right. Joe Maurer, yeah. re reacting sort of in real time to it. The The few things I'll say here is that it's well-deserved. I'm pleasantly surprised. It, beca it became clear. I, I've, I, my personal feeling is that Joe Maurer was obviously a Hall of Famer from like the moment he won his third batting title as a catcher or won an MVP as a catcher. Obviously, the fact that he had a brain injury and he had to move off catcher while he still had a lot of good years left or at least several good years left at catcher and then became sort of an averagish first baseman. My worry was the counting stats are not going to be there, you know, the 3,000 hits and all that stuff. And a lot of voters are going to have a sort of lasting memory of him as just sort of a, hey, he was an okay first baseman, yeah. as opposed to this is a guy who hits 350 at catcher and wins MVP and all that. 
so I have, and I think you agree, we've viewed Maurer certainly as a Hall of Fame player. Sure. But yeah. my worry was that... I didn't think he'd make it, truth be told. You didn't think... Did you not think he'd ever make it, or just certainly not on first ballot? I didn't think he'd ever make it. Okay. I, th- I think I... Well, I think I was... Bo- I think what I said is, I don't know. Okay. I think is what I said. Um, I think in the moment... Actually, somebody found a clip of this, of us talking about it, and I was like... It was, we were talking like right after the concussion. Yeah. Maybe when they announced he was moving to first base that next winter. Okay. Where I was like, oh, he's not going to make the Hall of Fame now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I came to be more optimistic. And then particularly once the early right. batch of votes came in at the beginning of the offseason, it was clear he was going to be above 50% minimally. Right. Well, once you debut on a ballot with 50%, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame because you need 75%. It's very few instances ever of a guy debuting even at like 40% and not pushing to 75 within 10 years or whatever. The first ballot part really did surprise me for yeah. sure. Yeah. And what's interesting is our fear – because like he got 84 Four percent, I think, of the p- ballots made public, which is something like fifty-four percent of the ballots, right? Or fifty-five. Yes, it was. The there's like four hundred and something total voters, yeah, right. and the majority of them, but only a slight majority, make them public. Either right. they write a column about it, or they just tell people what it is, or whatever. And Ryan Thibodeau tracks them, and so yeah, it was like fifty-four percent of the precincts reporting. Yeah, right. Uh, he's at eighty-four percent. Well, you only need seventy-five right. percent. So we were even a few weeks out or a month out. We said, like, you can start planning for Cooperstown. It ended up being much closer. Um, and if it would have been like a real sort of uh, election night situation, <laughs> yeah, it would have made some, for some real stress. It would have been interesting to have counted, like, to announce them on the. Like, yeah, if it was uh, Steve Kornacki yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah, that guy's yeah, name. Yeah. For, no, no, ballot number 472 yeah. out of 476 has. They cut it a little close. Bro. And the reason yeah, it, yeah. it was cut so close, I'm looking up the actual numbers here. He had 83.4% of public ballots, which you're an easy Hall of Famer. But our fear at the time, and this is not about Maurer so much as the public-private, the people who are unwilling to make their ballots public are either sort of uh, cranky about it or just so old or not sort of active baseball reporters that they just don't even realize ballots should be made public or are being made public. But in general, those... The private ballots over the last 10 years or whatever vote for significantly fewer people per ballot, like two fewer checks per ballot. And for kind of analytically strong candidates, they tend to vote for them at a much lower rate. And they tend to vote more for like guys you go, well, that guy's not a whole Omer of a scale or whatever it is. And so the assumption is, yeah, he's at 83% on public, but he's going to be much lower than that on private. And it ended up being – significantly lower than even I thought on the private side, which he was uh, 83% public and 66% private, which is absurd. And he ended up getting in by essentially four votes out of 400. (laughs) Um, But here's the thing. They don't put that on the plaque. You know what I mean? Like the bust is still the bust. He still gets to stand next to Adrian Beltre and Todd Helton and Jim Leland on stage in Cooperstown. He still gets to call himself only the third catcher in the history of baseball to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, along with Johnny Bench and Yvonne Rodriguez, who I think would be a lot of people's pick for the two greatest catchers, certainly of the modern era. He's the third twin ever to go in on the first ballot, joining Carew and Puckett. Uh, And he's only the fourth number one pick ever to go in on the fourth ballot joining Ken Griffey Jr., Chipper Jones, and Harold Baines. Huh. So that's pretty good company kind of all around. Uh, I'm 
very happy that I will never get a chance to vote for Joe Maurer because I get <laughs> sure, a ballot in yep. five years yep. or whatever, and I was hoping he wouldn't be on the ballot still by then. I'm pleasantly surprised that he got in. I'm legitimately surprised that he got in on the first ballot. Yeah. Um, I've thought for a long time, separating Maurer, that catchers are just really underrepresented yeah, that, in the I Hall mean, of Fame. You can say that. That doesn't necessarily, that actually hurts you, <laughs> right? Like that hurts his chances of getting right, in. Absolutely. Right, absolutely. Right, yeah, so right. I just mean I'm happy big picture that right. Maurer's getting in. And also in the next several years, Buster Posey, Posey and yeah. Yadier Molina, I right. think, are both also yeah. going to get in. So adding three catchers when there's only like a dozen total catchers right. uh, makes an impact. And that goes back to the counting stats thing, which is catchers don't play as many games per season because it's a more physically demanding job, and their careers generally aren't as long. So it's much harder for a catcher to get four or 500 homers or 2,500 or 3,000 hits. And so these guys who are just like, well, those are the benchmarks for the Hall of Fame, which are these private ballots, right. uh, don't view it that way. So I'm glad Maurer got in from that sense. Uh, midsummer, Cooperstown, uh, he becomes the seventh Hall of Famer to go in with a Twins uniform or a Twins hat on with uh, – Oliva, Cott, <laughs> right. Blylevin, Puckett, Carew, Killebrew. And then obviously you have the Ortiz and Jack Morris sure, and Winfield right. yeah, and right, Molitor right, right, and those yeah, guys sorry, who yeah. went in with another team. Um, we did, we had a fun uh, hypothetical about who will be the next Major League Baseball Hall yeah, of Famer. Yeah, I want to reconsider that yeah. actually. Well, it was on the Patreon. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about it on the next Patreon because people chimed yeah. in with some. The one we hadn't considered, we talked about Correa, Lewis, Jenkins, Duran, all that. The one we hadn't really considered is Veterans Ballot. Right. Johan. Yeah. Yeah. Which that would there's not a single person other than yeah. someone in Johan Santana's family who would be happier about yeah. that than me. I mean, but I'm skeptical uh, about that. Almost immediately after the uh, after that well, let's talk about it on the Patreon. We'll we'll talk about that as part of a mailbag. See, it's uh, fun to get out these yeah. tangents, John. Yeah. And then uh so congratulations to Joe Maurer. It's weird. I'm the same age and same class, high school right. class as yeah. Joe Maurer, and we both were uh, at the time St. Paul City Conference. He used to crush us and everything. <laughs> um it's really weird to be like I knew this – I mean, not that we we're friends, but I knew him when we were like 15. <laughs> right. And I certainly – I was friends with – I played with some guys who were his – I played with his uh, best man, I think, in Little League for okay. years and years. Yeah, that's funny. And it's just so weird to be like – he was famous at 15. Well, he also started – they drafted him. He became a part of the Twins organization. At 17. They, basically the year that we both started writing uh, blogs. Like the, yeah, we right. started covering the Twins. It would have been my freshman year right. of college, which yeah. would have been his freshman right. year of college yeah, too right. also. Yeah, but it's, so it's surreal to be like – He's, I also saw he's the th second or third youngest Hall of Famer that didn't involve like a special election, like for a death or something like that, which makes sense because he retired early uh, because of the injuries, but that didn't hold him back from getting in right. the Hall of Fame because yeah, his yeah, peak yeah, was right. so good. Yeah, so he's right. going to get in at 41, which is it's hard to get into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> when there's a five-year waiting right, period, yeah, it's hard right, to get in at 41. Um, and then the last thing we want to talk about uh, we were going to talk about Bubba Thompson and all this oh, other stuff. We'll talk about that on the Patreon side. Uh, it's just a little thank you to people for the winter meltdown. We did this. Oh, yeah. uh, we, we won't get that far into it, but hopefully everyone listened to the most recent free episode, which was the clip or the, the audio from Louis Varlin and Matt Wallner joining you and I on stage, uh, which was a lot of fun. We uh, We've had a lot of great guests over the decade or so we've done this uh, annual event. Yeah. You know, Always fun. We've had Joe Nathan and Perkins and Kadire and Latroy Hawkins and going back, you know, years and years. But this was the first time we had active Twins players. Yeah. And 
not that that was a risk or anything, but it, it's a different, a little bit different, different vibe. It's yeah. not so much. Do you remember when, or you know, tell us about this, or right. now it's like just more of a traditional kind of interview of yeah. like last season, Maybe. this season, yeah. and everything. And I will say. That, it was also interesting to talk to guys at the beginning of their career, right. as opposed to guys looking that's back a, on their exactly their right. former career. You know what I mean? To talk to somebody who, who are very willing to tell you, uh, baseball's very hard, and we're not sure right. we're going to make it. Yeah, as opposed <laughs> right. to back in my day. They, yeah, exactly yeah right. it's someone the, where it's not. Yeah. Tell me about the good old days. It's right. tell me how the good old da- the yeah. good days are going to be. Yeah. And also, I want to give Louis Varlin and Matt Wallner a lot of credit because. They are not the most the, the the loudest or most outspoken guys. Sure, they kind of fit the Minnesota stereotype, I would say, <laughs> sure. of you know the strong, silent type a little bit. And they're good guys. Like I got to know them a little bit this season. They're they're really they're good, good to talk to. Right. Yeah. That's why we want them as guests. They're right. both native Minnesotans. They were rookies last year. They helped uh, you know lead the Twins to the playoffs. But they really both stepped up in a big way. And you know, selfishly or ego wise, I like to think we provided an environment <laughs> where. They were having fun, and sure. we were. It was a very informal, more conversational than right. interview yeah. and all that. But I don't know that that's the case. I think they both just showed a lot of charm and so told too. some good stories and got a lot of laughs. And I heard from so many people, including some of the beat writers who have interviewed them, right? Yes, who were like, "Man, that was really good." And I, it was like insulting <laughs> to us at a point where it's like, "You guys did a decent job with that." Like, and it's like, so I yeah, I just yeah, want to give them right. both credit. They uh, hope you guys listened. You know, but. They had the crowd eating out of their hand. Yeah, yeah. They had us eating out of their hand. Yeah. They were telling great stories. They were given good, like, actual analysis of talking about... They both stuck around afterwards for pictures yes. and shake hands with people, talk so, to people a little bit. Just wanted to yeah. give a shout-out to uh, Louis Varlin and Matt Walner, and also just the 300 or so people who were there. <laughs> yeah. it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It's always a great event. Um, heard from so many people this year, podcast listeners and... Even like out of town people who said I'm here and I listened to you. I'm in Seattle. I'm in yeah, Iowa. Yeah, I'm in whatever. Yeah, yeah. It really uh, it was a lot of fun. I met a lot. I put I put faces to a lot of the freakazoids from Twins Twitter. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Which is always That's interesting. Right. Yeah, exactly right. Um, some good, some bad. <laughs> no, uh, I had a couple people come up to me and say, uh, "Can you unblock me on Twitter?" I'd like to make a compelling argument for that. That's funny. And I told them I'll look into it. <laughs> I always like when they're like, I didn't really do anything. And I go, really? And they go, okay. Well, I, I, call, I, get, I get worked up sometimes. Yeah, I, t- I called you this. It's about um, so yeah, thank you to everybody who came uh, to the Winter Meltdown. I'm excited that the twins are, the wheels are at least in motion for some semblance of activity now. Yes. yes. I would have liked to space it out throughout the off season a little bit. I would definitely recommend you go consider joining the Patreon. If you are not, we've got to, besides, listen, I think over the next two weeks, we will probably have put some breaking news, yeah. uh, maybe a deep dive into the TV situation, yep. a mailbag, a pitchers and catchers report day. Yes. Like, like, from the, uh, I mean, we're not that far right. from one and or both of right. us doing the show from Fort Myers yes. right. uh, yeah. while batting practice yeah. goes well, on behind exactly us. Exactly right. Is, yeah. If you've been uh, waiting to kind of jump back into the Patreon side, the season is uh, is ramping up. So, yeah, it's uh, good. Two weeks, basically. I'll be in Florida in 15 days. You will be in Florida in like 11, 11 days. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting. Although, it's not, not going to be that much hotter. <laughs> like, it's weird. Beautiful blue sky. Things are going to be yeah. 50 degrees today. Do you know there's going to be one day when we're both in Florida and it's warmer here than it is in Florida? All my winter uh, activities this weekend are being canceled. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we were gonna go to like this ice sculpture thing. That's not happening. <laughs> There's the be- an ice bar downtown we wanted to check out. I'm not sure that's gonna. The happen. beauty of me is, 
it's 68 and sunny inside my house <laughs> at all times, no matter what the weather. Uh, all right, we'll talk to you uh, probably next on the Patreon. Bye bye.